You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Hello, and welcome to episode 135 of You Don't Know Flack. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and today is May 19th, 2013. On today's episode, as you may have guessed by that creepy little message there at the beginning, today's show is about backwards messages in rock music. So, um, I have, uh, I did the entire podcast in reverse. I have stored it in uh, my trusty Commodore. The Commodore is now processing it. I'm loading it back uh, in normal. It's very confusing. It's very high-tech. Um, it's all it has to do with um, backward subliminal messages. I don't really understand it, uh, but I did record the whole thing in reverse. Uh, this makes no sense, but anyway, <laughs> uh, we will figure out how it all works during this week's Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading Time. I hate to start the episode out on a somber note, but I do want to give a shout-out to Brad Prillwitz. Um, Brad is a fellow retro gamer. Some of you might know him as Pure Energy on the Digital Press or Atari Age forums. Brad Prillwitz passed away a couple of weeks ago uh, from injuries he sustained in a car accident. Brad was 47 years old. Uh, Most of us around here know Brad from... OVGE, the Oklahoma Video Game Expo. Uh, Brad was a frequent attendee of OVGE. He usually ran uh, a table where he would put on tournaments for people. Brad owned a uh, really rare Atari cartridge called Pepsi Invaders, which was a custom cartridge that Coca-Cola had made in the 80s um, when they were battling Pepsi. And so it's it's um, a modified version of Space Invaders, but instead of shooting Invaders, you're shooting the letters Pepsi. And so Brad would have um, Pepsi tournaments at his table, and for the winners, he would give away these miniature uh, cans of of Pepsi and Coca-Cola. So I I don't know that I would describe myself as a close friend of Brad, but I did look forward to seeing him every year. We talked uh, a little, little bit outside of OVG. I actually purchased some things from him throughout the years. I bought my Amiga 500 from Brad. I actually ended up buying a couple of computers from Brad and a bunch of Amiga discs. And um, so anyway, you know, it's a bummer. It's it's a strange world now that we live in where you find out about someone's passing on Facebook, which is how I found out that Brad had passed away. And um, the one, one, uh, I I couldn't even call it a a good thing, but um, I guess interesting... Uh, from what I read on Facebook, it looks like Brad's retro uh, game collection has been left to his nephew. And so we're really hoping that uh, Brad's nephew will come out to OVGE this year and that uh, we're kind of planning on putting something together, maybe a little honorary tournament for Brad or something. But anyway, uh, so rest in peace, Brad. Switching gears. Um, I didn't get a whole lot of feedback this week, so I just kind of wrote down some notes of some stuff that I've been up to, and I thought I would um, drop those in. One thing I've been doing a lot of over the past week is archiving Commodore 64 discs. Now, I know what you're thinking. Um, I have been... Well, you're probably thinking, who cares? (laughs) So maybe I don't know what you're thinking. But I have been archiving Commodore 64 discs, and by that I mean converting them over into D64 images that can be used with... Uh, Commodore popular Commodore emulators like Vice and WinVice. So back in the day, in the original days of owning a Commodore, I had close to 700 floppy disks of games, and throughout the years I've picked up other lots of Commodore disks. And so there are multiple ways to convert real floppies over into D64 disk images, and I've talked about that on some of uh, uh, the other podcasts that I've done. One is with the 1541 ultimate that plugs directly into the commodore 
Um, the Commodore sees that as a real 1541 disk drive, and so you can use the old any old copy program like Fast Hackem or whatever, and you can actually put a real disk in a second drive and copy it over to a blank disk image uh, in the 1541U. So that's one way to convert things over. I also own a FC5025, which I've talked about, which is a um, floppy disk adapter where you can hook up a five and a quarter inch floppy drive to a modern PC using USB. That's not particularly helpful for Commodore disks because it does basic copies. It doesn't it won't do the backside of a Commodore disk, which every Commodore user uses the backside of Commodore disks. So it's not particularly helpful. But the, the other thing I own is a Zoom floppy, and I haven't done a dedicated podcast to the Zoom floppy, but the Zoom floppy is a little PCB that has a USB connector. It also has a uh, parallel port connector uh, and a serial connector for hooking up a Commodore 64 disk drive to a modern IBM PC. And so I have done this. I have gone through all my old disks and converted them over. But what I wasn't able to do was a lot of my original disks had read errors when I copied them over. So my disk images now are not, some of them are not readable. And also a lot of my original disks had copy protection on them. And those are um, unreadable as well. Or I, you know, I wasn't able to copy those over. But the Zoom floppy if you connect it to a 1541, you have to modify a 1541 disk drive to hook up a parallel port, or you can do this, which I didn't know at the time, uh, using just the serial cable if you connect it to a 1571 disk drive. And so I connected a 1571, and um, there are GUIs that lay on top of the command line tools, but really what I like is just using the command line tools because you can you can do all these different switches like I added a switch to retry reading a track 99 times and also there's some error checking and things like that so I've kind of been going through some of my old discs again I'm hoping this is the last time because I'm getting a little tired of doing this Um, but the goal is to get everything I had uh, during that era archived and when that's done I'm going to zip the whole thing up and put it out on the website for people to get so I think um, now a lot of the games have already been dumped. So if you just want to play uh, Pitfall for the Commodore, well, Pitfall's already out there. But I might have a version that was cracked by somebody else, or I might have a version, um, you know, that's been modified in some way or something. So uh, I know that I do have some little, like, text adventures and basic programs and things that I got from local people uh, that haven't been archived anywhere. So that's my goal, is to put all that stuff out there um, and then let people sift through it and see if there's anything interesting. So, uh, so I've spent some time working on that. I also took last Wednesday, a few days ago, off of work to go to the zoo. Now, this seems like a strange topic to bring up, but the reason I'm bringing it up is it's because I ended up spending most of my time at the zoo. Mason, uh, my son, met up with one of his friends, and so me and uh, the friend's dad whose name is Brian, spent a lot of time walking around the zoo together. And I knew a little bit about Brian um, from online and seeing a few of his things on Twitter, but I didn't really know uh, exactly what he was into. But Brian uh, has done two different things that are very interesting. The first one is he runs a um, branding business, which we used to call that like marketing, you know, where someone would set up your your logo and maybe your website or whatever, but now it's more about branding, like getting all these things together. Uh, but he has a branding website called Robot House, RobotHouseCreative.com. Um, but also, I think more interesting maybe to some of you guys out there is that uh, Brian was the author of a comic book called Knuckleheads. And Knuckleheads, at least issue number one, has been picked up by Monkey Brain Comics, and Brian told me that I know that there was some talk at one point about having Knuckleheads turned into a a show, uh, like a Cartoon Network cartoon, so he's just into a lot of cool things. I really enjoyed talking to somebody um, that does so many creative things and just kind of picking his brain a little bit. You know, sometimes I feel like that's what I would rather be doing, not picking people's brains, but, you know, doing something creative... um, just doing something during the day that that doesn't feel so draining, you know. So, I don't know. Um, that being said, you know, you kind of have to weigh these things. It's it's um, the two different schools of thought. One is, 
you know, do what you like or do what you love, which is great if doing what you love pays the bills. The other thing is uh, to do something that pays the bills from 9 to 5 and then use your time outside that and the money that you make from 9 to 5 to do what you love, which is kind of uh, sometimes the way I feel what I'm doing right now. So, uh, But anyway, I did have a really good time at the zoo talking to um, Brian and really picking his brain. So I'm hoping somebody will pick up a copy I don't have a copy of Knuckleheads yet, but I'm hoping somebody will pick up a copy and send me a, a review so I can throw it um, onto the podcast. The last thing I have a note here that I wanted to mention is that I am working on a new podcast. And so I've kind of set the groundwork up. I'm trying to get some people that would be interested in doing this podcast with me. And what the podcast will be is um, a group of guys that get together. It's not going to be a weekly podcast. I'm hoping maybe to do it um, once or twice a month. And what we're going to do is get together and everybody's going to bring a game to the table. And there's some different things. I don't want to give everything away yet, but there will be rules about what game that you bring. So all these guys will get on the podcast and everybody will uh, have to defend their game why their game is the best of all the ones that were were presented or whatever and then when we're done with the episode uh then there will be a, a an online voting poll and so listeners can go and vote for who they think made the best argument so i'm trying to get all that in right now i have uh, uh one other person definitely committed i have uh one person that's interested and um a couple other people that i haven't heard back from so uh, if this sounds like something you might be interested in, drop me an email, and um, you'll you'll need to have Skype because we're going to be doing the the show via Skype, and you need to have some semblance of a decent microphone. I'm not saying you have to have a hundred dollar microphone or whatever, um, but uh, you know, it it's going to Skype already knocks down the quality a little bit. So if you don't start with something kind of decent, um, that being said, I know that. Um, Ferg on the uh, 2600 Game by Game podcast mentioned that he records his podcast using the microphone from Rock Band Beatles, and his podcast sounds fine to me, you know, so I think, um, you know, anything that that's decent will work. But anyway, uh, if you have any interest in doing something like that, drop me an email at robohara at robohara.com. And the sound of the 1541 drive banging tells us that the podcast has been successfully been transferred from reverse back to normal. <laughs> it's amazing the processing power of this one megahertz chip. Uh, and that we are ready to get started with episode 135 Backmasking. I'll start off this episode by saying that the 1980s were a terribly dangerous time to grow up in. Uh, at every turn, there were things trying to take over our minds, steal our souls, convert us to Satanism. Uh, it's really amazing that anyone lived through the 80s without killing themselves or other people or losing their minds to drugs. Uh, we had uh, Dungeons & Dragons which people had convinced us was a game for devil worshippers. Uh, we had Satan worshipping itself. There were, I'm pretty sure Geraldo did 19 specials on Satan worshippers and cults that would steal children. We had subliminal messages in movies um, that could take over our mind or uh, convince us to murder or hurt ourselves or buy more popcorn. And then, on top of that, we have the scary, scary world of rock and roll music. We have people that are concerned about the forward messages <laughs> in rock and roll music, and we have uh, people that are afraid that we are also being bombarded with subliminal messages uh, that are hidden in rock music that is taking over our youth, uh, that is um, controlling children's minds and convincing people to do things they would not otherwise do. Before I start talking about backwards messages, uh, subliminal backwards messages in uh, pop music, I want to talk a little bit about um, masking. 
the term masking. Um, you are listening to this podcast right now. I'm talking into a microphone and you are listening to a recording of this. So you uh, are able to hear the message that I'm saying. But if a jet plane were to fly directly overhead, um, you wouldn't be able to hear this podcast. Even though the podcast hasn't changed, the volume level hasn't changed, you wouldn't be able to hear it because the noise of the jet airplane would drown out my podcast. And so uh, the scientific term for that is called masking. Again, the audio, my audio, the volume of the podcast hasn't changed, but it was masked by a louder uh, noise. This is actually called, uh, there's all different kinds of masking. That is called simultaneous masking because there are two noises that are played at the same time. And because the volume of one is so loud, uh, it masks out the other one. There are, um, another style of masking is uh, temporal masking. And that is the masking of sounds by playing something louder before or after the message that you want to mask. So if you play a sound, uh, a sound like a loud sound right after uh, a less loud, a quieter message, that's called forward masking because you are masking something that comes before that. If you make a sound really loud and then you follow it with a quieter message, um, that is called backward masking because what you're doing is you're masking uh, a message behind a louder noise. So that's actually where the term back, uh, you know, back masking or backward masking comes from. It didn't originally um, have the connotation of the message itself being uh, played in reverse or backwards. Back masking um, didn't actually mean that. Uh, these are all terms that come from uh, psychoacoustics, which, to quote Wikipedia, is the scientific study of sound perception. More specifically, it is the branch of science studying the psychological and physiological responses associated with sound, including speech and music. So, again, backmasking didn't originally mean uh, messages that were hidden backwards in music. Backmasking... Uh, basically referred to, uh, you know, having a loud sound that would drown out a quieter sound that would follow it. But for the scope of today's podcast, we are going to use the term backmasking as the practice of hiding a message by reversing the text and then placing it into uh, or on top of another recorded message in this case, which is music. For me, my personal history with backmasking began in the 1980s with the purchase of a book called Big Secrets. Uh, Big Secrets was written by William Poundstone, and it was very interesting to me as a kid, as an early teenager, to read through. Um, what Big Secrets is is a book of all these different mysteries that... William Poundstone investigates scientifically, and so it, it's um, it's almost like a little secret world. Like he explains, um, if you've ever seen the uh, Rorschach ink blot test, he uh, has pictures of what the ink blots look like and what someone who is administering the test is looking for in your answers. So it it tells you basically how to beat that test. It also talks about how to beat um, lie detector tests. It talks about um, how certain magic tricks are performed. There's an entire uh, chapter about food that talks about what the formula to Coca-Cola most likely is. Um, there's a part where he talks about um, secret frequencies. Remember I talked in the uh, previous podcast about um, those repeating number frequencies. There's a whole chapter about that. Um he talks about all the little things of, um, gosh, he just talks about all different kinds of things. Um, a lot of the things that are hidden on money. I remember there's a big part about that, but anyway, so, uh, this was like a treasure trove of information to a kid such as myself. And actually, um, there are two sequels 
There uh, is Big Secrets, Bigger Secrets, and Biggest Secrets, and then all three of them uh, were put together in a book called The Big Book of Big Secrets. So if you just want to buy one, you can look for that. Uh, but anyway, I have all three of these books, actually. And uh, like I said, as a kid, you know, it, it made you feel like you were on the inside, like you knew things that other people didn't know. Big Secrets has a large chapter on subliminal messages, and it talks not only about subliminal messages in movies, but also uh, subliminal messages, specifically backwards messages, in music. So this is where I had first heard about this. Now, I had grown up, uh, I was born in 73, so uh, I was a big fan of Queen, uh, we will rock you. We are the champions. I had all these 45s, and I also had the 45 for Another One Bites the Dust. And I had a babysitter one time when my parents were out. The babysitter told us that if you played Another One Bites the Dust, that what it really said in reverse is it's fun to smoke marijuana. So let me let you listen to these two things. This is uh, the chorus of Another One Bites the Dust, uh, played forward. Another one bites the dust. And here it is played in reverse. So as you can clearly hear, <laughs> that is um, exactly what Freddie Mercury uh, had intended when he wrote the chorus for Another One Bites the Dust, was that um, in, when played in reverse, it would tell you that it's fun to smoke marijuana. Uh, so there are three different categories of backmasking. The first is what is referred to as um, implicit Backmasking, which is also known as phonetic backmasking. And this is an example of implicit or phonetic backmasking. What this means is, is that the words are spoken forward. Uh, another one bites the dust. They have been sung forward. But when played in reverse, phonetically, it sounds like another message. So it's not something that was recorded in reverse and put in the song. But phonetically, when played backwards, it makes it sound like um, you're saying something in reverse. As far as I can tell, phonetic backwards messaging goes back to the rumors. Uh, you may or may not know this. You probably know this, that there were rumors uh, in the 1960s that Paul McCartney had died. And um, there's actually a Netflix movie or a movie on Netflix, I should say, um, about Paul McCartney is dead. And so there were all these rumors that Paul McCartney was dead and that um, he had been replaced with a fake Paul McCartney. And, and there are all these clues, supposedly, on Sgt. Pepper and on other albums uh, that point to this fact. Um, if you look at the cover of Abbey Road, everybody is wearing shoes except for Paul McCartney. And the rumor was because um, he had been buried um, barefoot or something, which is, I don't think i don't know if people are buried barefoot i don't really know um but so there were all these you know supposedly little clues and hints um in fact at the end of uh of one of the songs there was supposedly if you listen to it a a little refrain it's at the end of strawberry fields i believe uh that says uh, i buried paul but if you listen to it closer it says cranberry sauce So a lot of these, and, and we'll find as we look um, at some of these messages, it's people maybe hearing what they want to hear and not necessarily what's there. So in uh, the middle of all this controversy of whether or not Paul McCartney was dead, uh, supposedly part of the secret was locked in the song Revolution 9. Now, if you've ever listened to Revolution 9 off the White Album, it is about eight and a half minutes of random noise. It is not a song as we think of a song in traditional, um, you know, chorus, verse, structure, whatever. It is a whole series of conversations, samples, uh, instruments being played, all the stuff that has been thrown into a huge jumble. Some of it's forward, some of it's reverse. Um, and so someone had suggested to a radio DJ that 
Revolution 9 had the secret to um, about Paul's death. And so when the radio DJ played the song in reverse, he heard uh, a secret message. The secret message was, um, I believe it's John Lennon's voice. It may just be um, a uh, British man speaking, but I think it's John Lennon. Uh, and in the song, he repeats repeatedly the phrase number nine. But if you play it in reverse, you get an eerie message that gives us insight to Paul McCartney's nine, death. Number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine. What that DJ heard was the phrase, turn me on, dead man. One thing I'd like to point out is how far rock music has come <laughs> since the late, mid to late 60s. Uh, this was scandalous at the time uh, that a backwards messages that said, turn me on, dead man, would be uh, included in a Beatles album. First of all, I consider this podcast to be PG at best, and I have no problem at putting the phrase, turn me on, dead man, <laughs> In this podcast. Uh, second of all, a, a few years ago, there was a band called the Union Underground that actually released a song. I think they added the word Mr. I think it's Turn Me On, Mr. Dead Man. Um, so, so now doing it forwards, and trust me, that's not the worst thing that's on radio today. <laughs> uh, I mean, content-wise. Uh, so, you know, like I said, at the time, this was very... Uh, so this, this had come out, this DJ had said, oh my gosh... Um, we think Paul McCartney's dead and not only, uh, you know, is he dead, but now we have been left this clue that says, turn me on dead man, which is, is a bizarre, I don't know, but, but it started this, uh, frenzy, I guess you would say of people trying to play their records in reverse. And so at that time, doing that was relatively simple because, uh, people had vinyl records. And so you would put the record on the record player and simply use your hand to spin the record in reverse. And so what you had was uh, thousands of, originally I would say DJs and rock fans, but very soon um, evangelical um, preachers doing this to rock records and searching for anything that might sound like um, a message in reverse. So these are, again, examples of phonetical backmasking or implicit, in other words, not intentional. Now, um, what several, uh, I, you know, I, I want to um, separate between what I think are normal, average people that go to church and um, read the Bible and, and do whatever. Whatever it is they do when I'm not there. Um, but... but um, all kidding aside, I wanted to um, separate those people from the the the, the wacky people, um, the people that are out there thinking that um, Revolution Nine played, you know, that somehow our mind would pick up the phrase Number Nine, reverse that into Turn Me On, Dead Man, which would then inspire us to become grave robbers. I don't really understand. Um, but so that was the argument from some of these uh, evangelical preachers was that our brains would be picking up on these uh, reversed messages, even though they weren't intended. In fact, one popular argument was is that even if the artist didn't know they were doing this, that somehow uh, Satan was channeling himself through these people and he, uh, Lucifer himself, was um, putting his messages into rock music in reverse uh, so that subliminally people would uh, worship the devil, I think, is the, the their claim. So one of the more famous examples was on Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. Now, everybody knows Stairway to Heaven. And near the end, there's a uh, refrain... Uh, which I will play here in just a moment. Uh, and then I'm going to play that again in reverse. Then I'm going to tell you what it says, and then I'm going to play it in reverse again. So I want to see if you get the same message out 
um, that they got out of that. So here is a short clip from Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. And now here is that same section played in reverse. So in 1982, there was a TV program on the Trinity Broadcasting Network um, that basically accused uh, rock music of containing uh, backward messages, back masks, uh, back masking. And this is one of the examples that was played on that show. They played this segment of Stairway to Heaven uh, in reverse. And this is what uh, the show was hosted by Paul Crouch. And um, based on the findings of that show, there was a hearing held in 1982 in California by the Consumer Protection and Toxic Materials Committee of the California State Committee, or sorry, the California State Assembly. So anyway, during that hearing, uh, a fellow named William Yarrell, who was a neuroscientific researcher, and by the way, he made that term up. <laughs> he said that's what he was. He is a neuroscientific researcher. Uh, so this is what uh, William Yarrell, during that um, during that hearing, uh, this is what he says that that, that um, segment says. Oh, here's to my sweet Satan, the one whose little path would make me sad, whose power is Satan. He'll give those with him 666. There was a little tool shed where he made us suffer. Sad Satan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't even know why I think all this stuff is so funny. Um, I guess it's just uh, the, the mental image of adults playing these records backwards. Uh, and, you know, they didn't... I mean, like, we have the advantage today where this guy has said, you know, this... Uh, 20 second segment says it in reverse but to find it you know they listen to all these albums the entire things in reverse uh, to find these little segments or whatever now I will be the first to admit that if you listen to that in reverse there's a part that sounds like the word Satan uh, and what's funny is if you say the word uh, Satan I mean if you write it out backwards uh, you know there are that sound of uh, DS or TS when played reverse phonetically kind of sounds like Satan, you know. So um, it, it's it's really, I think it's just a coincidence. You do kind of hear the um, 666 part in there, which is a little weird. But, I mean, I if I have to choose between this being a coincidence and this being the work of the devil who has somehow controlled Robert Plant who didn't know he was doing it at the time to put satanic messages in Stairway to Heaven. I gotta go with coincidence, but maybe that's just me. Uh, anyway, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna play it, um, I'm gonna break it down and I'm gonna read each line so you can hear um, what it's supposedly saying. Oh, here's to my sweet Satan. The one whose little path would make me sad, whose power is Satan. He'll give those with him 666. There was always a little tool shed where he made us suffer, sad Satan. So, you know, it sounds like a coincidence to me. Um, I do hear what, what they're saying that sounded like the word Satan. Um, and you do hear the, the 666 part or, you know, sit, 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 like that. 
Um, but I'm I'm not convinced that um, I would think that the uh, Lucifer would speak more clearly to get his message out. There's so many satanic metal bands that praise the devil and forward. <laughs> so I don't I don't understand why uh, he would go this uh, take this subliminal route. Maybe you do hear uh, you know an attack from the devil. Maybe you think it's, uh... So, I I have a couple other examples here. And again, these are all phonetic uh, backwards messages. And then we're going to get into... These are implicit. We're going to get into explicit backwards messages here in a minute. Um, This is uh, another implicit one. This is from uh, The Cars. From a song called uh, Shooby-Doo. And, um... You know, this is another phonetic type thing. Like, if you write out the words shooby-doo, there's a lot of S sounds and there's a a hard D sound. And so you put those, uh, you know, in reverse or whatever, and you're going to get a type sound. So anyway, uh, here is uh, the cars with shooby-doo, and in reverse, the cars uh, saying the word Satan. So again, in my mind, um, you know, a complete coincidence. Now, I want to mention two specific, two last specific um phonetic backwards messages and the reason i wanted to mention these two together is uh well you'll find out here in just a minute but um the first is from uh the band sticks you guys may know sticks from mr Roboto. uh come sail away they had a lot of hit songs um this particular song was called snowblind and it was uh written about drug use or drug abuse actually um, and so we'll hear it uh, forward and then we'll we'll play it in reverse. I try so hard to make it so Again, that was sticks with Satan move through our voices. This next clip comes from Electric Light Orchestra, or ELO, as I knew them from the 70s. I uh, was a fan of their song, Don't Bring Me Down, and uh, Evil Woman. But um, uh, from their album El Dorado, this is a short clip from the song El Dorado. Here it comes, I've got a lonely day Playing the game Now, for a phonetic uh, reversal, this one's kind of interesting because there are parts of this that actually sound um, almost understandable. But in reverse, uh, it says, according to... um, uh, these uh, the same group of fundamentalists uh, that it says he is the nasty one Christ you're infernal it is said we're dead men everyone who has the mark will live so let's listen to that So the reason I wanted to play those two for you is because uh, by this time, I mean, this is the late 70s, early 80s, and by this time, people are going crazy. Uh, It's almost like a witch hunt. It's almost like a literal witch hunt of people going through all their old albums and and playing them in reverse, which I'm sure the record companies love because you're destroying uh, (laughs) your records and your needles to do this. 
Uh, it wasn't like where you could just throw it in a computer today like I am and just uh, hitting right click and reverse to get these reversed audio tracks. Uh, so these people are running around, running their records, listening to all their records in reverse, um, you know, probably wearing their poor wrists out by, um, you know, manually turning these records in reverse. Um, so some of the artists really took offense to being you know, told that they were unintentional Satan worshipers. Uh, I know that Robert Plant, uh, took particular offense to being told that there were satanic messages in Stairway to Heaven, um... And, and um, so what happened is, uh, like I said, you have this, this um, witch hunt going on where people are trying to find messages in their records. So any recording artist who knows anything about PR, what are they going to do? They are going to intentionally put backward messages uh, in their music. And so uh, the example that I just played from ELO, um, which to me didn't sound like, you know... Uh, anything that was planned. I mean, it was a phonetical coincidence and not even a great one at that. Um, on ELO's next album, uh, we find this. That's a clip from ELO's Fire on High, and that's played uh, forward. That's what it sounds like on the album. When you reverse it, you find this. The music is reversible, but time... So finally, we have our first intentional uh, example of backmasking. I mean, this wasn't the first one ever done, of course, but uh, the first one of this show. Um, and it was done by ELO. And so what makes that interesting is ELO uh, was accused of putting you know, phonetic backward messages in their songs, um, which they denied. They said it was a bunch of crap. But in their next album, they did put backward messages in their album, and uh, then there were stickers put on albums that said, warning, this album may contain backwards messages. And if you think uh, that album sold well before, wait until... I mean, it's just like, um, you know, you go go tell kids, oh, this is rated R, this is, uh, you know, this was so... The scenes had to be cut because this movie was so horrible. Well, that's just going to drive ticket sales up, and that's exactly what happened with these albums. Uh, they began putting intentional backward messages um and and then stickers you know um sticks i i played that uh little thing from sticks uh just a second ago they're they're um unintentional or or phonetic uh backwards message so um sticks wrote an entire album uh kilroy was here and if you um know anything about that album it's basically about um a fictitious group like the PMRC that came out later, the uh, uh, Parental Music Resource uh, Center. Um, I think that's right. But um, so anyway, at the beginning of one of their albums, or at the beginning of that album, uh, they um, put a message in reverse, which is uh, actually in Latin. If you play it back, it's the um, little Latin words that are written around the pyramid on the backside of a dollar bill. Um, so, and then they put a, they put their own sticker on the front of the album that says, by order of the majority for musical morality, this album contains secret backward messages. Now, um, the majority for musical morality was a group that they made up. And that's a fictitious group uh, that's talked about on the album. But boy, did that get album sales driven up. And so... Um, you know, with this, uh, I hate to keep using the word witch hunt, but with people searching albums for backward messages, boy, putting a sticker on the front of your album would get people to buy it immediately. And so that's what we begin to see. If you look at, um, this is, uh, an example that gets cited. I remember this, uh, when it 
not exactly when it came out. I wasn't a fan of the band then, but um, this is a uh, this is the introduction of Hell Awaits from the band Slayer. I'll play uh, just a, a quick snippet of the beginning of this song, Hell Awaits. And uh, here's that intro in reverse. And so, obviously, Slayer learned what everybody else learned. All you had to do was put a quick little backwards message. This one says, join us, over and over, at the beginning of your album. Put it in reverse. That would get you on a list of horrible albums that have backmasking on them, and that would boost record sales. When I was in... um, This is a few years later. When I was in, I think, um, 11th grade... I was in, uh, I took sociology in 11th grade, and a bunch of my friends were in the same class, and we had a coach who taught the class, Coach Pierce, and Coach Pierce was legitimately worried for our souls. (laughs) He saw the t-shirts we were wearing, he knew the kind of music we were listening to, and he was, um, in completely good faith, uh, concerned for our well-being, and so we took um two i think two days off of class and he brought in this video and made us watch it um as part of uh, under the guise of being related to sociology and it was about the evils of rock music and um i was not a slayer fan at that time um i also had never heard of jane's addiction I had heard of some of the bands that were mentioned, like Metallica, and there were some other things. But we watched this documentary for two days about, you know, these are the horrible types of music that children are listening to. And honest to God, we spent those two days writing down these band names. Uh, And then, you know, the next, that weekend or whatever, we went and found all these albums, you know. Um, That was how I discovered... Slayer, uh, Rain and Blood, was I saw it on this special, you know, and they talked about what a, a, a horrible album it was. I mean, um, completely uh, reprehensible. Um, and so I, I had to own that, and so I drove down to Sound Warehouse that weekend. I bought um, Slayer's Rain and Blood, and I bought um, Jane's Addiction, Nothing Shocking, the same weekend, and it was because we saw it on that. <laughs> Poor Coach Pierce, he really tried uh, to straighten us up, but it didn't work. But I do thank him. Uh, for helping me find uh, or discover Jane's Addiction and Slayer. Um, But, you know, those bands were, I mean, Slayer, I remember there was a a whole specific segment of this special about backward messages uh, in rock music. And it wasn't just heavy metal bands that were doing this. Um, This is, uh, you may or may not have heard this before, and most people uh, that grew up in the 80s remember Prince's Purple Rain, How Could You Forget, uh, a classic album uh, with many, many number one uh, singles on it. You had When Doves Cry, you have Purple Rain, you have Let's Go Crazy, you have all these uh, classic songs. And then there's the naughty little song at the end of Side One named uh, Darling Nikki, which was recently, I say recently, in the last few years, uh, covered by uh, the Foo Fighters. And when Darla Nikki came out, it was a song so dirty that you wouldn't talk about it. Um, you know, it was the type of song that we would sit around and giggle about and, and, and talk about in whispers on the bus. And then, you know, the Foo Fighters, 20 years later, 25 years later, uh, do a cover version of it, and I hear it on the radio. So, again, it's just a sign of, of how things change. But at the very end of that song, Darling Nikki is uh, this little segment.
So this is um, almost a reversal of what we saw with the uh, original back masking because in the originals i mean think about stairway to heaven i mean this song uh that's a, a nice song about stairway to heaven and then it's implied that in reverse uh it says that satan's gonna lock us up in his tool shed for god's sake uh and then in this song darling nikki uh which is just an absolute filthy song <laughs> at the end we get a backwards message from prince saying us that he's fine because he knows the lord is coming soon um so and this may go i i don't this may be on the record as uh, the most positive backwards message found uh, in any song. but um, So, this is what we begin to see. This is throughout the 80s. Um, we get, uh, you know, these, these backward messages. But what, uh, what happens with backward messages is they begin to fall out of favor. And the reason they begin to fall out of favor, for the most part, is because... Uh, we see a decline in the sales of records. People begin moving to cassette tapes, and cassette tapes are uh, more difficult to play in reverse. Now, it wasn't impossible. And I actually heard that Prince uh, sample, or that little segment of that song, played in reverse by disassembling uh, a friend of mine's uh, Prince tape um, from Purple Rain took all the little screws out of the cassette tape. Some of them had screws. Some were just uh, snapped together. Uh, and then you would reverse one of the reels and rewind it all the way. And then it would actually, depending on how you did it, you could get the cassette tape to play in reverse. And so we did that. And then when we tried to turn it back um, for somehow, uh, I don't remember what happened, but but we ended up ruining his tape and I had to buy the guy uh, a new copy of Purple Rain. So uh, expensive little endeavor. But that's, uh, you know, when we got away from records, records were fairly easy to play in reverse. Cassette tapes were much more difficult to play in reverse. So there was no reason to be putting them, uh, you know, backwards messages on cassette tapes if nobody could hear them. Uh, we see even uh, less backwards messages as we move into the CD era because CDs on a normal CD player... Uh, were impossible to play in reverse. Most CD players, I never had a CD player that would play uh, in reverse. So uh, once uh, music began moving to a digital, you know, as far as CDs go, distribution, we don't see very many uh, backward messages until um, we get into the PC area. By And by that I mean personal computer, not, uh, not the other uh, PC because songs could be put onto computers and then easily reversed. And so we do see um, a little bit of an upswing in reverse messages again, backwards messages. My favorite two backward messages are both from Weird Al. The first one is from Weird Al's uh, album in 3D. And there's a song near the or at the end of uh, the album called Nature Trail to Hell, and it's about, uh, it's a parody about uh, horror movies, and, and um, it's in 3D, which is funny because, um, I'd have to look it up, but I'm sure it's not long, I mean, it has to be shortly before the release of Friday the 13th, part 3 in 3D, um, so Weird Al has always been a visionary, he always has his pulse on uh, <laughs> what's going on in pop culture and parodying things in a very timely manner. Um, in the middle of Nature Trail to Hell in 3D, there is a uh, little you know musical breakdown in the middle, and you hear just a little hint of a message in reverse. And so I'm going to play that uh, in reverse, and then I'll flip it around and play it, or I'll play it forward, and then I'll flip it around and play it in reverse, and let you hear Weird Al's uh, secret satanic, surprisingly satanic message. This is... Uh, Nature Trail to Hell in 3D. Again, if you didn't catch that, that is Weird Al clearly stating Satan eats cheese whiz. This final clip from Weird Al is from uh, his song I Remember Larry from his album Bad Hair Day. Leave it to Weird Al to parody the entire backmasking phenomenon with one single 
poignant backwards message. I think Al's right. I think a lot of people have an uh, awful lot of free time on their hands. Um, in 1985, and I am reading this uh, directly from uh, the backmasking entry on Wikipedia. In 1985, University of Lethbridge psychologists John Vokey and J. Don Reed conducted a study using the Psalm 23rd from the Bible, Queens, Another One Bites the Dust, and other sound passages made up for the experiment. Vokey and Reed concluded that if backmasking does exist, it is completely ineffective. Participants had trouble noticing backwards messages when the samples were played forwards, were unable to judge the types of messages, whether they were Christian, satanic, or commercial. Vokey concluded that we could find no effect of the meaning of engineered backward messages on listeners' behavior, either consciously or unconsciously. Similar results to Vokey and Reed's were obtained by D. Averill in 1982. A 1988 experiment by T.E. Moore found no evidence that listeners were influenced consciously or unconsciously by the content of the backward messages. In 1992, an experiment found that exposure to backward messages did not lead to significant changes in attitude. Psychology professor Mark D. Allen says that delivering subliminal messages via backward masking is totally and ridiculously impossible. The finding of backward satanic messages has been explained as caused by the observer expectancy effect. The Skeptic's Dictionary states that you probably won't hear backward messages until someone points them out to you. Perception is influenced by expectation, and expectation is affected by what others prime you for. In 1984, S.B. Thorne and P. Himmelstein found that when vague and unfamiliar stimuli are presented, test subjects are highly likely to accept suggestions, particularly when the suggestions are presented by someone with prestige and authority. Vokey and Reed concluded from their 1985 experiment that the apparent presence of backward messages in popular music is a function more of active construction on the part of the perceiver than of the existence of the messages themselves. So, there you have it. Um, it, it was a, uh, uh, a little time, it was a little thing that was going on in the 80s. It was very exciting. Um, it was a little scary when you would uh, find an album that might contain backward messages or when you would hear... Um, I remember listening to albums late at night. I would lay in bed with my headphones on listening to albums and hearing uh, reverse uh, text, you know, reverse speech on an album was always a little disconcerting, but uh, I did okay. I did not come out. I have not uh, attended any black masses or performed any satanic rituals. Um... I, so I, I think uh, as far as uh, kids of the 80s, I think we did all right. So backward messages. There you go. I believe that brings us to the end of another episode of You Don't Know Flack. I want to thank everybody for listening, everybody who has contacted me on Twitter or has liked the Facebook page, which is just You Don't Know Flack on Facebook. If you have any questions or comments, show suggestions, or anything like that, you can email them to me at robohara at robohara.com. Uh, or you can call the voice mailbox, which is area code 206-309-9501. That brings us to the end of episode 135, and I hope to see you all again next week. Later. みんなバッツね。